What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 35 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday. What? Thursday? Um, February 23rd, 2000. This is all Josh's fault because uh, he is going to be moving out. He's going to have his own own place soon. Wow, just already starting to just throw the blame around. All right, cool. That's fine. That's fine. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know. Mike had some incident with a broken down bus or something yesterday. Um, yeah, but it didn't, you know, you were... But ultimately, it's both, my fault is what you're saying. Have, we both could not have done anything. And I was joshing with him. It's too late oh. to apologize. It's too late. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm pretty stoked about that. Uh, it's finally happening. Um... I've lived at mommy and daddy's house long enough. Um, I I did I accomplished what I was supposed to accomplish here, which was essentially you know why anybody moves back to their parents' house, which is to pay off bills, save money. Uh, I was getting to the point to where I was just accumulating. Uh, That's not why I moved back, but okay. Oh wow! I, I moved back. I moved back with my mom because my dad and my stepmom in, in Oklahoma City there was just no support group. There's nowhere I could fall back on. My dad wasn't home barely at any time. Like he wasn't home at all, at all, really, for the most part. I mean, I moved back there to make up for lost time because I only saw him every weekend when I was growing up. And then he gets a long haul truck job and he's only home. He's gone for a month and maybe home like a few days. So it was just it was very stressful. I moved out and I got back in with my mom here in Vancouver and then I was able to have a support group and I was able to go in and go to college. That was my whole thing. I wanted to go to college and get my AA. And I've done that. So now all I'm doing is waiting for my transcripts to get processed and get sent to WCU Vancouver. And then we'll see what happens from there. I don't like the two-hour-long commute I'm going to have to take to get there on bus. So I'm going to try to see if I can learn how to drive before then. So I've been studying the, the you know... Washington State Driver's Manual uh, lately. Oh my god, dude. You're bringing me back to like, you're bringing me back like, fuck, (laughs) 13 years ago. (laughs) That's like when I was having to read the Florida uh driver's manual and i had to take the test on it and uh then dude the driving course they're usually uh, a big joke i mean they're, they're usually like the like any idiot can pass okay the driver's test um it's like i i if well, I'm, re- I'm going to driving school too so i'm doing that as well my my grandmother's and my mom's helping pay for it so all i need to do is get my permit and then everything and also uh, you know, uh, everything's going fine on my end. Um, there was like, uh, my stepdad had a little bit of an incident again, uh, sort of a relapse. Um, but he's back now and his employer actually surprisingly is still working with him, which I'm, I'm shocked after the third time, but I guess they really think he's a good worker and a good guy and they want to keep him on board. That's great. That's nice. I'm really, I'm really glad to hear about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, 
Yeah, I've just been really busy. Um, I have five gigs a week now. That's what I was trying to, I was saying on the Patreon, you know, because it's like we, we're going to throw a bonus segment here soon. But um, yeah, you know, yeah. five five gigs a week, um, meetings with brides because I'm doing weddings. Uh, so oh, when good I, for you. I mean, you got to make that cheddar. Yeah, it's just, God, it was, you know, I, I'm always talking about the time versus money thing. You know, it's always uh, a big balance between do you want more time or do you want more money? I, I like it when there's kind of like right in the middle. Like you have yeah. a nice bit of time and you have like a decent bit of money. Not, you're not like, you're not wealthy, but you're able to pay your bills and still have. That's, that's pretty much where I want to be. Yeah. I'm not there yet. And I probably won't be able to move out until I get a job, which has been a pain in the ass, or, you know, find some kind of profession that works for me and we'll see what happens. Uh, who knows? I might write that book I've been wanting to write and maybe it'll actually make me some money. Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> I, I'm Surprisingly, there is not very many books based on what I'm thinking about doing. There's like one that's like some college level book that's like really talky. And the guy is writing like mini essays on these horror films because what I want to do is write a little sort of a guide to the horror films in the 1980s. And I, I want to like condense originally because I've just been thinking back and forth. Like I did a rough draft of a few uh, paid a handful of pages and then I'm like, that's too long. So now what I'm thinking about doing is just condensing it more and making like each review of the film from my perspective being like a paragraph long. And then the rest of it just being like, okay, this is who's in it and so on and maybe a bit of trivia. And I just want it to be like a guidebook that people can go to. Yeah, just, I think that's a good idea, keeping it short and sweet because I'm actually um, reading through this uh, podcast. Like the only podcast that I listen to really is uh, the Completely Unnecessary Podcast. It's a podcast by this guy, Pat Contry, who does... Um, Video game oh. stuff on on YouTube. Uh, Pat the NES Punk. Yeah, Pat the NES Punk. Uh, he's he has a podcast about g all, all things games. And, and yeah, I mean, I like games, but I'm not even like that into them to where I should be even listening to this podcast. It's just one of those things that for whatever reason, like most of you people out there, you kind of just find a podcast and you just keep listening to it. Anyway, he wrote a book called The that Ultimate. Would be nice if it was. Uh, we were that podcast for some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we are. Um, <laughs> but anyway, this guy wrote a uh, guidebook, the ultimate NES guidebook to uh, all the r original Nintendo yeah, I games. I was going to mention that. So that was like just popped in my head. It just popped in there. Yeah, and um, I'm actually reading it right now. I'm going through all the games. It's actually good crapper material. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's good to have in the bathroom when you're taking a dump. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> file that under too much information um but no I, i'm reading through that and like some of his game descriptions are just way too long and that's kind of one of my biggest gripes with the book because it's like you know give me a paragraph dude four sentences you know like no more or you know like sum it up as as succinctly as possible because i don't I don't feel like reading an instruction booklet for each game. I just want I want a <laughs> synopsis, you know, very quickly. Yeah. You know, so what that's kind of what I want to do. I want to make like the synopsises for each film shorter and and uh, just my overall thoughts on it shorter. Mike, can you and, do short though? That's the question. 
I did. I did it for a contest on Facebook that I lost for some bullshit fucking post that wasn't even anywhere near as good as mine. But, you know, I think it's one of those circle jerk things where the guy who won was friends with the guy who ran the contest. Uh, so He was in the good old boy network. Apparently. Oh, yeah. By the way, um, we have a Facebook group besides our own uh, Facebook fan page, which the fan page is facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can like that. We uh, post stuff on there. Um, but we also have a Facebook group now called Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and that is full of lively discussion. Uh, it's uh, moderated by one Thomas Hatfield, who does a, an amazing job of posting like trivia on there, and he'll have little um, screen captions where you have to name the segment, and uh, he, he does great work on there. Thank you, Thomas, again for doing that. Yes, thank you so much. So if you yeah, want to join that group, I highly recommend it. It's pretty fun, pretty uh, unsolved. It's actually very unsolved. It's a very unsolved group. Um, also, um, if you want some uh, bonus content that's not related to any of this stuff, you can like um, us on YouTube, which Mike's channel is uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. And mine is uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. I recently just did a, a tour of my room, all my games and stuff. So if you want to be a voyeur and look into that, uh, you know, and see where I sleep, you perverts. And you can do that. And if you want to have some bedroom eyes. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, and last but not least, if you want to become a Patreon, it's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. We do uh, bonus segments. Um, we do, uh, you get the podcast before anybody else. Uh, you can ask us uh, segment requests on there that will get bumped up to the top of the list. Um, if you do the $10 tier, you'll even get your own story on the podcast um, of of that may or may not be true. It, it's probably true, but it may not be. Who knows? Uh, so, yeah, just look into that, all the perks on there, and figure out which one's right for you. Um, but, yeah, that's all the plugs for right now. So, anyway. All right, let's get to the uh, bread and butter and breadsticks and zucchini and olive oil of this podcast. Making me think of Olive Garden right now. Oh wow, Olive Garden! I thought, I, I, man, I thought that was just a little mom and pop Italian place where I lived. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you have Olive Gardens too? No one ever. Yeah, right. That the the meme. Um. All right. So the first uh, segment we're gonna get to is off season one, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. Um. Actually, like I think as a result of this podcast directly, I think at least two or three people have gone out and gotten Amazon Prime. We should at least be getting like three cents some, per some residual. Yeah, something <laughs> from Amazon. Some uh, residuals. Um, yeah, but uh, this one I, I picked because this is actually the one I wanted to talk about last week, but then I got the two confused because they were both dealing with younger, like, well, actually, the other one was older than Jeremy, but it was just I think I just watched them like they were in like episodes that were like really close to each other. So like they just started to run together for me. But this one I wanted to discuss because first off, it's fairly local because it happened in Myrtle Point, Oregon uh, or near Coos Bay, uh, Coos County Fair. You and know about all that stuff like you. Yep. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I've been to I've been to uh, Coos Bay before and places like that, and I think I might have went to the fair one time. Oh, that's but, cool. Uh, I didn't know it's that. It's been a long, long time, long time, like 
really, really long time. <laughs> um, but uh, also, I just thought it was very fascinating. Yeah. Because it's one of those that's just like, and there's some really haunting imagery in the reenactment. Yeah, yeah. Some disturbing shit we will get to. But before we get to any of that, I, j- I just got to get this out of my system. <laughs> Jeremy spoken class yeah. today. Clearly yeah. I remember picking on the boy. Seemed a harmless little fuck. Ooh, but he unleashed a lion. Anyway, um, sorry. Jeremy spoken in class today. Today. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that's actually uh, I don't. I, reminds, I think it's Superman for the Quest for Peace. It's a little sort of joke running gag that me and my friend had. We were we watched the film and we did sort of like a riff commentary on it. And there's a kid named Jeremy in that film, and he's the one that reads the note that asks for Superman to do something about nuclear weapons. And so we're just like Jeremy's spoken in class today. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we used to. Co- I used to be in a cover band like back in the day, like oh for. Yeah, we used to play cover band. N- well, no, it wasn't a tribute band, but it was just a cover band. And one of the songs yeah. that we covered was Jeremy, and you know this is a song that was on heavy rotation on rock radio. Yeah. I, yeah. It still probably is, and in the nineties, right? Yeah. Well, and two thousands as well. Um, and I remember we went into the first notes of that song. Boom, da da dun dun. You know, we went into the first few notes, and there was some guy in the audience who rolled his eyes, <laughs> like, "Oh God, not this song!" I thought that was like the most appropriate reaction because I was like, "Yeah, dude, I feel you. I don't want to be playing this song either." But you know, it was. I guess the other guys in the band were like, "You know, yeah, we got to do Jeremy." You know, I don't like that one. Yeah, being in a cover band—that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. Anyway, Mike picked Jeremy Bright, yet somehow I got stuck doing the notes on it, so here we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, I appreciate it. 14-year-old Jeremy Bright went to a fair in Myrtle Point, Oregon in mid-August of 1986. Oh, by the way, this is some uh, classic stack here. I mean, as he starts out in this segment, I mean, you just gotta watch this. This is like Mm -hmm. the untouchable, just Robert Stack at his most, like, you know, badass line delivering. Anyway, for uh, Myrtle Point, Oregon, in mid-August 1986, Jeremy was never seen again. Since that weekend, a number of clues and rumors have surfaced. Jeremy's parents and the police have come to one unescapable conclusion. Someone living in Myrtle Point, Oregon, knows exactly what happened to Jeremy. They're not talking, but they know. Just go and listen to that right now. Turn this podcast off and go listen to that. Like, just how he delivers that line. He's like, they're not talking, but they know. They know. It's like, God (laughs) damn it, Stack. Just mm, spicy meat the ball, delicious. Nailed Uh, it. Anyway, so that cuts the actual segment. Um, Jeremy was a popular sports-loving boy. He looked forward to beginning high school in the fall. As according to his mother, Diane Bright, uh, he always had l- lots to do and uh, place, lots of places to go. He knew everybody, and everybody knew him. He was always a really outgoing kid. Every month, the Coos County Fair rolls into Myrtle Point. This is the occasion of the of a week-long celebration, and to Jeremy Bright and his friend John, it was one of the high points of the year. Normally, Jeremy lived 100 miles away at Grant's Pass, where his mom worked, but during the week of the fair... 
He and his sister would stay with his stepfather, Ollie, Oli, in Myrtle Point. And on Friday, August 15th, Oli went to work before dawn and didn't see Jeremy leave for the fair. But that day, a handful of people saw Jeremy and John enjoying the festivities. Around 4.45 that same Thursday, Jeremy placed a long-distance call to his mother, Diane, and he told her he was having a terrific time at the fair. She told Jeremy that she'd be back in Myrtle Point in two days to pick him up. Five hours go by. Later on that night at 9.40 p.m., Jeremy went to a local tavern owned by his grandmother to meet his stepfather, who was then off work. He asked to borrow some money from his stepfather, and this was the last time his family saw Jeremy. First off, what? how do you feel about letting the kid, letting your kid go out all that way, just out on his own? Just, I mean, he was with a friend, but still, I mean, it's kind of, there's no really adult supervision there. He's just there with his friend at the fair. I mean, anything could really happen. Well, you know, all this paranoia that parents have for their kids now about, like, you know... Because of shows like this. Well, it's because of, of, of events like no, this. Yeah, because it's of events like this. Because yeah. because there was a time when you could let your kid just go out and do that stuff alone, and you didn't you didn't think twice about it. And I think, I think the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, but I think by the 90s, people were starting to get paranoid. That's when the paranoia was starting well, I mean, to set there's in. There's been too many crazy things that have happened. Right, and that, so. and now we're at the place where we're at in modern day to where most parents would never dream of letting their kids do this, but we're kind of taking a look into a, a look through the, the hourglass, if you will, of time. Looking to a, glass. Looking glass, there you go. Uh, to a more simpler time where where it wasn't maybe a big deal for these kind of things to go on. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think that's pretty cool that kids yeah. were able to do that at one point. I mean, that, that is cool. And, you know, it sucks that tragic incidents like this are what have influenced people to, you know, not go that route. But I can totally understand. I mean, I don't I mean, it's dangerous enough. If you're just an adult going around in these type of situations. But. It's even more dangerous if you're a kid. Oh, it's not dangerous for a badass uh, ninja ass-kicking person. Oh, like a three ninja? Yeah. One like the three ninjas? Well, like, like myself. Rocky or Tum Tum? Uh, I'm <laughs> describing my... Tum Tum, what the fuck? <laughs> I forgot about that movie. <laughs> I wish you hadn't reminded me. <laughs> It Why? Just, it's it's actually a pretty fun movie, actually. Yeah, it's the got sequels a, are pretty bad though. It's got a video game based off it that it's pretty okay. rare. It's pretty shitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, rareness and shittiness unfortunately go hand in hand with a lot of games. Rare games do tend to be uh, shitty. Sometimes they're not, but anyway. Uh, two days later on Saturday, Diane, his mother, arrived in Myrtle Point to meet Jeremy. He never showed up. According to her, I went and got my my car and went to Ollie, Oli's house. What kind of fucking name is Oli? Went to Oli's house. <laughs> I went in and on the TV set were his house keys, his wallet, and his new watch that he bought. I knew he was around somewhere because he wouldn't have left without those things. As the carnival played on, Diane's fears began to escalate. 
On Saturday night, she contacted the police, at, and at first they believed her son had succumbed. I love this line. At first, they believed her son had succumbed to the romantic lure of the oh carnival. Yeah. First off, <laughs> Jeremy wouldn't be very bright if he decided to do that. But don't. <laughs> I love that, uh, the, the romantic lore of the carnival life. I know, because I'm just like, what romantic lore? Is, is, is there even a romantic lore to being in the carnival? Like, I've never heard of that. Before. I mean, I went to the carnival uh, this in 2016 with my then-girlfriend, and... Uh-huh. I mean, we went to the down, the one downtown, and there was nothing romantic about it. <laughs> it was very scary, <laughs> and not because of the rides. Uh, um, yeah, but I mean, like maybe it one, you know, if it's a week long affair, and it seems like Myrtle Point, like that's the biggest thing that probably happens in that town. Yeah, blah blah blah. Maybe there, maybe there was kind of a more of a lore to that. Than say someplace like Jacksonville, where that's uh, you know the car the fair coming to town is one of many things that's going on here at any given any given point, but that was one of the uh, police's theories is that he uh, succumbed to the romantic lore of the carnival and like ran how away. How often has that ever happened where a kid is like, oh, I love the fair so much, I'm gonna run away with the fair, like. I don't know, the you know. Percentage is probably pretty small. It might have been higher back in like way back yeah like the 20s or something like the like back when you know you were either a turnip farmer or you ran away with the carnival you know yeah um so sergeant steve dalton of the coos county sheriff's department says in this case i've talked to family members and friends of his that knew him well and he was just not the type of kid that would have struck out on his own like that so on sunday august 17th 1986 the fair folded up its tent Myrtle Point returned back to normal. Within days, ominous rumors of Jeremy's disappearance began to surface. In Myrtle Point, the week of the fair was a time for partying. According to one rumor, Jeremy attended one of these parties and was offered a beer that was laced with an illegal drug. Yeah, and that ties it, into, like, I got the two mixed up last week. So I was like, oh, it had a drug in it. No, it was this case that had the Yeah, drug in they it. were kind of similar. So, so they, they were kind of similar because, you know, drinking and then whatever. And of course, the mother here is all like, "Oh, I what? That's I, I can't imagine that." He, I, he doesn't no, drink. you're thinking you're thinking of the last one, dude. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's it too. So it's just confusing at the same time, but also, I'm pretty sure she thought that at one point too. She probably didn't think he would have tr- drank anything. I'm assuming like all mothers think that about their kids. Um, yeah. I, I love the the uh, actors who played like the punk asses yeah. uh, at the refrigerator. So like Jeremy's walking up to the refrigerator and there's like two punk, you know, punk. I bet yeah. it said it on the script even uh, punk ass redneck. A and punk ass B. Yeah, uh, redneck punk asses. Yeah, you know, it, he walks up to the refrigerator and he's like, "Hey man, looking for a beer? Why go in there when we got our, one already open for you?" You know, and the and Jeremy's like, "Oh, really? Thanks, Mister." And he, like, just <laughs> takes it. He just starts guzzling it down. Oh, a, yeah, it's crazy. You never, go to a, you never go to a party and drink and open anything no. from someone you don't know. You open a bottle from somebody you, you do not know that is not very bright. No, not very Jeremy Bright. Now, you know, granted, unless these guys were, like, 
gay, I don't really understand what kind of thrill they would get out of using their drugs, wasting their drugs on some random stupid kid. Like, unless they were gay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know why they would want to essentially roofie this kid, but uh, yeah. ma maybe they thought it would be funny. I don't know, but they apparently, that was one of the theories. And um, I, I think that was less likely than the other one. Yeah, um, then they got the sergeant back on there who's saying, I've ID'd uh, two or at least three parties that Jeremy attended where he could have OD'd. Uh, Jeremy had a heart murmur as well, therefore a stimulant of some kind could have done bodily damage uh, by him just taking it. So maybe, yeah. you know, if somebody put something in the uh, the alcohol and he drank it, and, well, alcohol's not a stimulant, but say that they put something in there that was... He had a heart murmur, and it could have, uh, you know, taken him out that way. Stoked. Yeah, but again, you know, why Why would two dudes, like, do that yeah. to another, you know, kid? They even random? had mullets, if I remember correctly. At least one of them did. Yes, definitely. Definitely <laughs> mullets were going on. That was a must um, for that time and place. That was probably, like, a casting uh, decision. Like, the whole, like, on the casting call, it was like, you must look like an asshole and you must have a mullet i can just see like steven spielberg in his director's chair with his circle glasses on like putting you his must look like a punk ass <laughs> and you need a mullet that is the vision i am seeing in my mind of myrtle point in 1986 mullets mullets <laughs> drugs Rape? Uh, An anonymous source told police another story. Maybe one that's more likely. I don't know. You make your mind up on this one. Um, make the call. Yeah. He said that, uh, and I love, they actually use this word, three local toughs started <laughs> harassing Jeremy and some friends while they were playing at the swimming hole. Then things went terribly awry. Um, one, uh, quoting the uh, sergeant again, uh, it was at the jail where one inmate relayed to me information that he had heard where someone was target practicing indiscriminately in the area where Jeremy was swimming. And again, there's horrible acting. Uh, they're at the swimming hole and it's Jeremy... The same guys, I think. Yeah, same guys, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Same yeah. punk asses. Um, and, you know, it's got just, you know, random kid A, random kid B, you know, the kid who's playing Jeremy, then some random chicks in there. And the and then it's got the punk-ass mullet crew on the bank of the uh, swimming hole, I guess. And the girl in the water's like, that's not a real gun, is it? And he's like, oh, what, this thing? No. And then the, his buddy's like, hey, see if you can pierce his ear with it. <laughs> and so, like, he shoots the gun and misses. And then the second time he shoots and actually hits Jeremy, and that's where the disturbing image, imagery yeah. plays in, because the effect was really uh, decent. Um, it, you know, it actually shows, you know, he gets hit by the bullet, and I guess he starts, like, blood, and he starts, yeah, like... to see blood in the water. Yeah, and he starts, like, squirming and kicking in the water, as you would yeah. imagine someone would... Pro I, I guess I always put myself in those situations, like, what if that happened to me? And it's like, yeah, I would probably be, like... Because you're trying to maybe, like, get yourself above water at least. and But maybe he couldn't do that because he was, like, hit. and Yeah, it was pretty disturbing watching that. Um, that was probably the most disturbing thing about this. Um, although I would say the mullet gang uh, softened a lot of the uh, what could have been a lot more uh, horrific. Well, that, that, I mean, that was, uh, that was eerie. 
as well, but no, what their no, mullets? The imagery, the imagery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were pretty terrifying. Um, what I was, we'll we'll get to it because I personally thought the way that a certain sequence was shot at night was particularly eerie. So they subsequently, after that, after they hit him, which, you know, then after it happens, they acted like, oh, man, Donnie, you really fucked up now. Oh, I didn't mean to. You know, they, they do that whole they, that whole trope that we've seen a million times in bully movies and stuff where it's like, oh, I didn't mean to kill him. I was just playing honest. You know, it's kind of one of those dealios. I was playing around, man. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to hurt we him. Didn't, we didn't know we were going to kill him. Oh, what should we do? I don't know. You idiot. You're the one who shot him. Yeah. So they subsequently took him to a cabin and they tried to, this is their words, not mine. They tried to nurse him back to health uh, to no avail. Now all of a sudden there are these like caretaking, like matriarchal, like, you know, coming in shirtless with his denim jacket on. He's like, you know, sitting down at his bedside and he's putting his hand on his head to see if he's got fever and he's just kind of shaking his head like, oh man, don't worry, baby, you'll get better eventually. Here, suck on my redneck denim titty. That might nurse you back to health. Oh, that was lowbrow, folks. I'm sorry. Um, but you don't really listen to this for its classiness or highbrow appeal. So, I mean, the amount of times I've said... say explicit lyrics. Yes. So. <laughs> there you go. So I'm allowed to say anything I want. Um, but yeah, they tried to nurse him back to health in this like abandoned cabin to no avail. So uh, that same source through the jail said that his body would be found within 200 feet of the cabin in a shallow grave. This is the imagery that stood out to me personally. It's the, the one where you have these two toughs, the mullet crew, have Jeremy's body, and they're dragging it down a hill or carrying it down a hill into a shallow grave in the middle of the night. I mean, just that whole imagery to me just is very eerie. I mean, just this whole sort of, oh, that that is that what that might have been what happened. We don't know for sure. And it's just also it's just like the they still haven't found him. So then it makes it extra eerie. And it's just the way that it was shot. The cinematography was really well done. Yeah. The director did a great job uh, creating a certain mood and atmosphere with that particular sequence. I felt I always felt like unsolved mysteries had really strong night shots. Like whenever yeah. they shot anything at night, they always really captured that that spooky that ambiance. Yeah, that just that that intangible look that old movies and old shows kind of had that was shooting on film. It was film. ethereal because it did it look like something out of a nightmare. So it was this kind of dreamlike quality to it. Ethereal. Yeah. Ethereal. You said ethereal. I thought that was some kind of like uh, alcohol or something that I hadn't heard of. Ethereal. Well, I guess I s- I've been pronouncing it the wrong way the whole time. You so have thank been. You. Yep. <laughs> how many? How many reviews uh, have you done where you've used ethereal? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know this, but Mike's YouTube channel, which is a uh, YouTube.com/slash/OCP Communications, dude, he's got like 500 fucking videos on there. I did not realize how many videos you've actually made until I scrolled through one time. I'm like, holy shit. You've been doing this consistently for a very long time. Yeah, I have been. It's pretty uh, admirable. But, yeah. Well, I mean, the content has gotten much better in terms of the quality and consistency of the reviews as of late. Because before, yeah, I'm, I can't really say I'm too proud of, of my earlier 
uh, videos, but. Did you yeah. uh, drum up some of that anger in the early videos? Did you kind of like force some of that anger out? Some of it, maybe, because it's for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Some of it, though, is genuine, and some of them, I'm just pissed. <laughs> fucking bullshit movie, wasting my time, or it was extremely disappointing. Which is most of them. Yeah. Anyway, um, so um, police searched the area where his body was supposed to be found in the sh said shallow grave, and they found nothing. Um, and then it cuts back to his mom, who says, All the rumors are hard to handle. All are hard to think about. Every time I hear a new one, I'd have nightmares for a week or so. I mean, I can't even imagine how brutal that would be for your yeah, kid. Thank uh, God I don't have a kid, so I don't have to know that. Well, um, also, there, her sister, Johnny's sister, I think there's a few other people that were... Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, the one that I hope, going back to his mom, the one rumor that I hope is not what happened is the one where he suffered for two weeks before he died and then they buried his body. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, that was the one that we were just that's mentioning. Awful. So there were two more clues. Jer uh, there were two more clues. Jeremy was last seen by his family on Thursday night. Um, the following night, the sister of Jeremy's friend Johnny had a disturbing encounter. According to the sister here, Friday night of the fair between 12 and 1 a.m., we were coming downstairs and almost ran into one of the neighborhood guys, and it startled me because he was completely covered in blood. And I said what happened to you? And he goes, oh, this? Oh, this happened hours ago. And then he just left and went into one of the apartments. See, I mean, first what? off, like, why did you not call the police right then and there? I mean, somebody who's covered with that much blood so, walks into your apartment. I mean... Yeah, I mean, secondly, what a fucking, like, what a non-answer to the question. What happened <laughs> to you? Oh, this happened hours ago. Uh-huh, yeah, so what happened to you, though? <laughs> You know, like none of your fucking business. Like that's like, like Josh, uh, did you cheat on me? Oh, th I've had these shoes for a few years. Yeah. Like what? You didn't. You, I mean, that, I, maybe they just didn't want to get in a confrontation. I mean, I could see why. I mean, the guy's covered in blood. I mean, I don't want to be. I mean, I guess the it next is kind of a good to have their blood on his shirt. So you know. I guess yeah, it I'll is kind of like, a uh, diversionary okay. statement, you know. You, All right, and and then I'll go in and call the police. But it doesn't seem like they they called. No. The police at all, like right I, right then and there, I would have called the cops that night. Yeah, I think most good citizens probably would have done that. So I'm worried. Okay, he's in the same apartment complex as me. I call the cops, but then it's like some dumb, you know, redneck. You know, jerk off. So, you know, <laughs> one of the mullet crew. Yeah. So, I, I a ten cent head. So I, I don't really. But then again, those people can be really dangerous. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly they uh, show no regard for you know any kind of a fashion sense or sense of self esteem or self worth by having that thing on their head. Um, half an hour after this encounter, Johnny arrived at the same building. He was overwrought and terrified. But did I say terrified? Terrified. Uh, terrified, but didn't want to explain. He did not want to elaborate. That's probably what happens to chickens. They're terrified. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're terrified when they're probably slaughtered, and then they get fried. This you podcast has now reached a new low <laughs> of as far as the jokes have gone. It's all right, folks. We've reached rock bottom, yeah, that, so we can only go that, up from that, here. That's, that's, 
pretty bad, I have to admit. So, uh, quoting the mom again, the three or four people whose names keep coming up in the rumors and all the reports are not exactly what anybody would call pillars of society. As long as they're out there on the street, they could hurt someone else's child, not just mine. Uh, since filming the story, one of the people in the group has been charged with murder unrelated to this case, which is of little comfort to Jeremy's family. If you know anything, call the Coos County Sheriff's Office. Um, now, There's a little bit more here from Wikia. Um, it's does not really... Let's just say it doesn't make things better. It's not like, oh, you know, everything's resolved. It's still unres unresolved. It's still unsolved, technically. Uh, and several people who would have had information on Jeremy's fate have since died. Oh, what a surprise. They're dead. So Harry is everybody Steinbaum, else who was ever on this show. His cousin, David, except uh, for Alan Mann, apparently. Oh, he yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> God, that was so crazy seeing that dude. So anyway, uh, several people have had who have had information on Jeremy's fate have since died. Terry Steinhoff, who was with his cousin David, the person covered in blood, died of a drug overdose in prison in 2007 while serving for an unrelated murder. Around 1988, four of Jeremy's friends died together in a car accident, and his friend Johnny died in January 2011. Like, th this is just crazy. This is like, is this like a curse or something? I mean... It's bad enough that, you know, Jeremy disappears and is more likely dead. Oh, he's definitely dead. Definitely dead. Absolutely. 100 percent. Uh, but then four of his friends died together in a car accident in 1988, which is. What, two years after. He disappeared. Yes. His friend Johnny died in January 2011. He OD'd in prison. What the fuck? Yeah. I mean, I know you can get drugs in prison, but like... Well, that was Terry, not Johnny. But, oh, yeah. Well, whatever. But how do you OD in yeah, prison? How does that happen? Orville Golseth, which I guess is his real name. His stepfather's real name is Orville, as in Orville Redenbacher. Um... But they called him, uh, what is it, Oli? Mm-hmm, the stepdad. But his uh, actual name is Orville. He died in 2003 at the age of 66. Jeremy's grandmother died in December of 1988, and his father, Joe Flaherty, died in December of 2008. That's not, is that the same act? That's like the exact same name as the actor from SCTV. I don't think it's the same guy, though. I don't think so, anyway. Uh, his family believes he's deceased, and they held a memorial service for him on August 2011, 2011, on the 25th anniversary of his disappearance. Yeah, what what I keep thinking about is, like, the mom so wanted to, like, name these people on the show, but, you know, their lawyers and all that shit on the show were probably like, no, no, ma'am, sorry, you, you actually can't, can't name it as your cousin. No, you can't <laughs> say, cousin. you can't name any names, we apologize. All right, so uh, I don't, well, or do I have anything else to say on the Jeremy Bright thing? Uh, what do I think happened to him? Let's talk about that. Uh, I think he was murdered. Um, I, th I kind of think it goes back to what you were saying at the very beginning, you know? It, it was kind of one of those things of, unfortunately, uh, it was one of those situations where you should, probably shouldn't have let a kid go unchaperoned uh, by himself to a carnival and get into who knows what else. 
Because, you know, parents like to think, oh, little Billy's just going to the carnival and then he'll come right back home. No, little Billy's going to the carnival and then he's going to see what parties or illicit drugs or beer he can get his hands on. Because that's what most teenagers are wanting to experiment with at that age. So he was trying to find a party probably and he probably found one. And he was—he might have been younger, like the guy last week that we covered. He might have been younger than everyone else there, and some punk asses fucked him up in some way. Maybe accidentally killed him, OD'd him, something like that. And uh, and and somehow for some—I don't think it was OD thing because there's enough enough witnesses that saw, that corroborate the whole shooting thing. So I mean, the per, the Johnny's sister saw somebody with blood on their shirt. Uh, the his friend was terrified. Why else does his friend be terrified unless he saw something? I mean, yeah. Um, OD thing, you know that that would be awful. But wouldn't you think if his friend would saw that happen, his friend would go in and say right away, he'd say that's what happened to Jeremy. Yeah, so he met with some kind of foul play, I think. Um, and it might have been from him, his cousin, which makes it even more fucked up. Yeah. Me and my cousin are two pretty different people at this point, so in a way, I could kind of see it. <laughs> I can't. I cannot see my cousin in a million years doing anything like that to me. So, uh, um, but uh, yeah. It's it's a well, tragic story. As uh, it is I will like say a lot of these cases. I will say that my cousin likes to um, get intoxicated and fire off guns, so that's why the only reason. Yeah, why well, I, that yeah, that could happen. Yeah, an accidental. So I don't necessarily think it was like there was any intent here. No, there's no malicious intent with Jeremy. And his death, I think, I think it was an accident, like accidental manslaughter or something. And then the some whoever did it just didn't want to fess up and just didn't want to face the music, so they just covered it up and buried his body somewhere. Yeah, and it's weird that they haven't found the body yet either. Maybe they didn't bury it. Maybe they threw it in, in uh, a river or something. I don't know. But yeah, he, I definitely do believe he's dead. I don't think he's out there. Or maybe they did the Breaking Bad thing and they put his body in that that oh. uh, acid solution. Oh, oh, they put like like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. No, they oh, did Dahmer put bo- bodies in drums. Yeah, well, didn't he put them in like his like freezer and shit? Well, he also put bodies in drums, if I remember correctly. I, I think the when the police arrested him, they went in and found all these drums and bodies in them, cut up and stuff like that. Oh, well, in Breaking Bad, they actually put this kind of acid solution oh, in the yeah, drum. Oh, yeah, like lye. Yeah. yeah, and it like just totally... There was an actual Forensic Files episode, I think, that had somebody... Or was it Forensic Files? There was some show like that where they found out some killer, basically, he had a, a, a drum in, I think, a storage unit that had a body in it. Can you imagine that? Human beings, man, we're some fucked up imagine individuals. Imagine being that, you know, person who, you know, runs that storage unit place. Finding that shit? No, I cannot imagine. 
All right, so let's move on to our second topic here, um, which is one that... This is one that I had been wanting to cover for a while because it's one I remember seeing when I was a kid on Lifetime, but I, I just completely did not know who it was, like, who was it that was in the certain segments, the, what the cases were about. I just knew it had to do with road rage. And after I saw this, I was like, yeah, that's the one, but I remembered it wrong. And you know that happens sometimes, where you've spent this whole time, you're, you've created this memory in your head based off of some really vague shit you've seen. <laughs> like once when you were a kid and, and so and you, you've kept replaying that memory and over and over again in your head and sometimes you're wrong because you're you're, you're just it's not how you think it is because i thought it was like at night the first case there's two cases of road rage here where people were actually killed and uh I thought the first one was at night, and it was like a guy with a shotgun, and I, I was just completely mistaken. But there is one that happened at night, and it was with a gun. It, it just, I, I guess I got the two mixed up. Anyway, uh, this is a case that aired, I think, on uh, season 10, which is a shortened s- season. That was, wasn't that one of the short seasons for CBS? Um, I'm not sure on that one, Mike. I think it might have been because these were some really like short seasons on uh, the segments that we have. Uh, season 10 is like really sparse. So the first case uh, with the road rage is of Richard H. Adderson. Adderson. And, <laughs> and, and they also interviewed a, a psychiatrist guy who's talking about road rage and stuff like that and how people, when they're behind the wheel of the car, they act differently than they do when they would act in front of you. Right. And, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the case. I well, mean, you probably noticed that. <clears throat> I was reading um, about, like, how road rage... Um, like, like basically, kind of the psychology behind it. Like, like the car kind of becomes an extension of you, of you, of your body, of yourself, mm-hmm. of your space, and so that's why it makes it that much more egregious and offensive when somebody does something jerky on the road, like you know, cut you off or not let yeah. you in or whatever, because it's like they're rejecting like you. As a person, yeah. and it's in. They're blocking you off. Yeah, and human beings take it personally, and a lot of times we shouldn't because it's not personal. They're just, it's just, it's be a part of being on the road. That kind of stuff yeah. happens sometimes. But some people take it too far. Um, and this is, these are definitely instances of that. I mean, Road rage is one thing, but when road road rage turns to violence and murder, that's a whole nother thing entirely. And I mean, you know, I I wouldn't say that I have road rage, but have I flicked people off before? Absolutely. And I stand by it to this day. I feel like they deserved it. Um, And it's usually some misunderstanding on the road that happens. And, you know... They, they'll they flick me off first, but you know what? I stick my fucking hand right back out and give it back to them. Like, yeah, fuck you too, buddy. You know, like, 
And it feels good. I love doing that when when I feel like someone's really screwed me over. It just feels so satisfying. So easy, yeah. To stick your hand out the window and give them the <laughs> finger. Give them the middle finger. It's like the, or, this primitive thing that just feels so satisfying. Um, it's better than honking just, your horn at them. It's more personal. Yeah. Or you could just be like, dumbass, double dumbass on you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying uh, to a, think about one that's instance. A, that's a Star Trek Four reference for all you Trekkies out there. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's why it went over my head. I don't, I don't really watch uh, that um, show. But but it is pretty funny. Um, but yeah, this is th- these cases are particularly shocking because this first one had happened in broad daylight. So Richard Addison was a 47 year old assistant superintendent of the Valley Central School District. At around 6 p.m. on February 5th of 1997, he was driving home along Interstate 84 in Fishkill, New York. Fishkill? Yeah. Jesus. Where do you get these fucking names from? When he was involved in a minor collision with another vehicle, which actually happened by the driver of that other vehicle. He didn't collide into the guy. The other guy collided into him. But then, so the cars pulled over to the side of the road at approximately one-fifth mile from exit 12. The two men got out of their cars, and the driver of the other vehicle began yelling at Richard. Now, the acting in this is pretty bad, I have to be honest, from the guy who's supposed to play the shooter, like the road rage guy. He's this kind of, you know, nebbish-looking guy, just doesn't really look like much of a threat. And that's what honestly makes it kind of even more scary, is because it just looks like some, you know, accountant guy or whatever. And he gets out. And then he starts getting in, in Richard's face. And I swear the line delivery was was something like this. It's like, what the frick was that? What 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 was going on there? You hit me. You cut me off. Like, what's wrong with you? And then and then, of course, Richard's like, no, no, it's not what happened. And he was like, it was like and then I always remember this line because it's 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 definitely OK. It's network. It's network television. They can't probably say what the guy probably said so w- instead of saying you know you're a piece of shit <laughs> uh he says you're garbage no and not the pg-13 insults like storm in hell no <laughs> you're a piece of garbage you're garbage you know yeah okay and then of course richard's like hey can you can you show me your your uh license you know get, we exchange information yeah I, I i here's my license and he pulls out a fucking gun and then he just shoots richard he pulls out a gun shoots richard drives off richard returns to his car he dialed 911 the segment actually airs his 911 call which is very chilling oh yeah when they actually air the real mccoy it's very creepy because, you know, and, th- that ain't no reenactment right there. That's, no. It's, that's some real drama you're hearing. And so he described the shooting and the perpetrator, but by the time the police arrived, Richard had passed away from his injuries. Police set up a roadblock in an attempt to locate the killer or any witnesses, and several people did report seeing the argument, but nobody saw the accident or the actual shooting. Uh, Richard's killer has never been identified or apprehended. So they also showed a, a sketch, a composite of what the killer looked like. 
And the witnesses, there's a bunch of witnesses also saw him as well. They described his killer as a white male in his late 40s, early 50s, with medium complexion. He was about six feet tall and very thin with a bald or receding hairline, thin nose, glasses, and a beard, and he was also dressed messy. Now, I think Robert Stack earlier like had like the narration talking about like glasses. It was, I was just remember it's just like a little sort of just oh and glasses because <laughs> it was like oh oh he's this you know certain build and in glasses. I'm like well I wear glasses too, so I mean it doesn't really. I guess. Were well, right. you trying to like stick up for the glasses community? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. That's absurd. What is we your agenda? You, 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 you. We don't, we don't, we don't need anybody to stick up for us. Um. So the killer's vehicle is described as a late model Jeep Cherokee type sport utility vehicle, possibly green colored, and has New Hampshire license plates. But it aired on the May 29th, 1998, 1998 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. But it is unsolved. And it was also on America's Most Wanted. But was there... I haven't been able to find the guy. Was, it, was there an additional one on that one? Oh, yeah, th- there was one. And I'm getting to that. I'm okay. just saying there's like there was uh, two cases. This is the first one. And this is the one that I remember, but I remembered it wrong. Now, here's the second one, which I must have blanked out because it's so horrifying. Yes. I, this is one of the most just shocking and just absolutely just atrocious, I mean, in, in terms of what happens, segments I think I've seen on this show. It's definitely one of the most just harrowing and tragic and just prepare yourselves, folks. This is one big bummer. Yeah, to say the least. So, this is the case of Robert James. Uh, Robert James is the two-year-old son of Travis and Wendy James and brother of six-year-old Sarisa. The James family had just moved into a new apartment on August 1st, 1997 in in Hesperia, California, when they had to make one more trip across town. They forgot something or something, you know, they just weren't able to get everything yet. And they're like, okay, we're going to make one more trip and then we can go home. Uh, They were talking about how Robert was tired, you know, they want to want to, you know, head home, want to get this done as soon as possible so we can just go home. And that's what also makes it so even more tragic because it seems like there was some sort of delay that happened. Like this wasn't something that was planned that they had to go back into town. Um, so that makes you think, okay, these, this could not have happened. This could have possibly not have happened if, you know, things didn't happen the way that they ultimately did. But, you know, that's how it is for a lot of things. Yeah. That night, the family was returning to their new apartment. The traffic was heavy and the driver in front of Travis was moving slowly as Travis tried to, as as Travis tried to pull around him, a dark blue Camaro cut him off. Travis again tried to change lanes, but the Camaro refused to let him pass the other driver. A game of cat and mouse began, and when Travis tried to speed up, the Camaro would speed up and then slow down. The Camaro driver seemed to anticipate Travis's moves, blocking him at every turn. First off, what I gotta say, what would you guys do in that situation? Because I don't know. Would I just deal with it? Just stay behind the guy? And hope maybe, 
you know, he just turns off somewhere that I'm not going? Or would you try to swerve around him? I've thought about this a lot of times. Like, if so, if I ever got into a situation like that, um, <clears throat> the the first thing that I would emphasize the mo- the most would be lowering my speed, however means possible. Whether that means, you know, if he's right behind me and riding my ass, if I have to do some kind of fancy swerving maneuvers, and as I'm doing that, I'm 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 applying the brake and slowing down. The biggest thing that I'm I'm wanting to do in that situation is I'm wanting to reduce my speed because the slower I'm going, the less likely what about to happen will be fatal or what is ab- about to happen to me would be fatal because, you know, think about it. If you're able to slow down to like 30 miles an hour or something like, you know, at 40, 30, 40 miles an hour, you know, yeah. it's not going to be a fatal wreck at that point. It'll be, you know, bad. It could be, I mean, it could be fatal if you got really like unlucky, but you know, unlike a 60, 70, 80 degree, uh, 80 like mile per hour, you know, chase that, 80 degree. <laughs> that 80 degree that, yeah, that will, that will end fatally, um, going at those speeds yeah. for sure. Uh, so that, that would always be my biggest thing. Uh, if, if ever I'm being chased or something like that, my biggest thing is always just, you know, as soon as I, I'm able to work my way to where they're not right behind me, just slam on that brake and let them go ahead of me. And then maybe I turn around and maneuver, you know, the opposite direction. Um, getting out of the car as soon as I'm able to is a big one. Um, and running away from the vehicle. Cause obviously a car can't drive through the woods. A car can't drive through solid objects. So if I'm able to get my person out of the car and wedge somewhere to where the car, the other car can't get to me, that's that's also a big uh, would be a big thing that I would do as well. Okay, well Travis he opted for a different uh, option. He opted for an illegal shortcut. He swung into the left turn lane, hoping to hoping to pass the Camaro from there. As both cars sped up, a passenger from the Camaro stuck themselves out of the sunroof and began firing at the James family with a gun. I mean, it's crazy enough that they're doing this cat and mouse bullshit, and then, boom, sunroof opens up, guy comes out with a fucking gun and starts opening fire. Now, see, shit like this is what what has made me the paranoid fuck I am. Shit like Unsolved Mysteries. Not saying I don't love the show, but I mean... Uh, you know, I'm always thinking... I'm freaked out about driving now, because I, I haven't learned how to drive yet, and I'm like, well, I don't want to get shot, <laughs> you know, by some asshole who decides, oh, you know, you're 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 trying to play games with me. I don't know what why, what provoked this type of fucking violence. I mean, was it just road rage, or were these guys high? Were they on the run from the law? What was going on here? Why were they even pulling this cat and mouse speed up and slow down shit with the other, with uh, you know, with a family? They were listening. To, they were listening to rock and roll. <laughs> the devil's music. That's what's to blame here. Yeah, I don't know. Clearly, this was uh, you know, a random act of violence. I would think. Um, doesn't seem like these people owed the mafia money or anything like that. So I don't think it was like, I guess uh, it was provoked by Travis trying to cut him off, I guess, trying to pass him. 
I mean, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I'm speechless, especially at what happens next. So this is hard just to read it, to be honest. So they began firing at the James family with a gun. Travis pulled, pulled off the side of the road. And when they looked back to check on the kids, they realized that Robert was not moving. Tragically, Robert was killed instantly from a gunshot wound while sitting in his car seat. Jesus. His only protection was his teddy bear. And Robert Stack just hammers the sadness home even harder and really makes you feel as close to as much grief as the parents could. And the reenactment was just fantastic, to be honest. And the actors they chose were great too. Like I will never forget the the look on the actor's face who played uh, Travis when he looks in the back seat, and he just has that look of horror on his face. Just like, oh no, 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 oh god, you know that type of thing. You know, Robert, you know, Robert, the baby, and. Robert Stack, I remember this quote because he says, nothing that could prepare them, you know, for that, for that grief, that terrible grief and the, the grief that will never let go. Yeah. I mean, if you lose a kid in, in a way like that, I mean, like, and and like you were saying earlier in in a way like you know you had to go back and get something so of course they're going to go down that horrible um but i guess understandable you know thought process of like you know blaming themselves and survivor's guilt and oh if we hadn't have went back and blah 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 then that person would still be a lot you know oh it's just awful situation like horrible Yeah, first off, you know, this is not only sad, but it also is infuriating. <laughs> because I'm just like, what kind of fucking bastard? What kind of piece of shit motherfucker would even open fire on somebody like that? Let alone kill a kid. Kill anybody. For fucking road rage. You know, it's it, it kind of goes back to that whole age-old thing of being at the wrong place at the wrong time, and you encounter some bullshit, and it's like, the life is like a big lottery, you know? Sometimes some good shit comes your way, and it's like, you know, fortuitous, and then other times you hit the lottery in a horrible way, and you get cancer or you run you get held up at a gas station or you you know this that and the other i mean it's it's a big in my belief because i'm not super religious i don't believe i honestly i'm like one of the only people who does not believe everything happens for a reason i don't think that i think that's bullshit i think that there is something to be learned from everything Uh, that happens to you yeah i don't definitely how i feel too i mean i don't that's a that's a common kind of not necessarily a meme but it's a common 
thing that you hear from a lot of people, but it's just one of those sayings that a lot of people say. Yeah, but, it's it's kind of it's kind of lazy to me to just be like, oh, everything yeah. happens for a reason. It's like, no, it doesn't. Sorry, there's Th- there's there was no reason for this. There's this not is completely unreasonable. There's not that kind of neat order to the world that people wish there was. There's just not. Shit is random. The Kennedy assassination. You know, I mean, the, the, all these conspiracy theorists want there to be some big overarching plan so they feel like at least somebody was in control. But no, it just fucking happened. The dude just was able to assassinate the president because he wasn't protected like he should have been. And even though it happened senselessly, a lot of lessons were learned from that. Now they have these protected cars. And I mean, that's just one of many examples. And a lot of but things. But with something like this, this is just so shocking and sudden. Like, there's absolutely no way to prepare for something like this. Yeah. And, and, and again, it was like the, the, the shit lottery. I mean, they got the bottom of the barrel in the shitty lottery of, of, th- of bad, random crap that can happen to you. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like one of those things to where. It's it's like you you just have to uh, somehow some way move on you know it's like the most unfortunate thing ever but uh, yeah. I, you know I don't think there's a reason why it happened you know yeah, I, mean, I hate yeah, that like it's just I I just feel like that's just such a lazy like instead I don't of, buy road rage just being you know yeah that's probably why it happened but. You know, everything happens for a reason. I don't think there was a reason why the kid was shot through his teddy bear. Yeah, I mean, something can be learned from that situation, but not. But there was no reason for it. That I mean, what? No matter what you believe in, and that's the funniest thing. And I'm not trying even going to touch religion with a ten foot pole here. But that's a, one of the funniest things about religion to me is the whole uh, when they get into that. Everything ha- it's a part of a plan, really. That kid getting gunned down was part of God's plan. Give me a break, you know? To be honest, that's a pretty shitty plan. Give me a fucking break. It's a pretty shitty plan and a fucked up plan, if you ask me. <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm not trying to get into religion. Even though I just clearly kind of made my beliefs clear. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. It, I, I, got, I got the hook out here just for Josh. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, you know, people try to find a reason, you know, for what's going on in their lives. And, you know, if they find that with religion, you know, that's fine with me. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and if it's just like a personal thing and it makes you feel good and all that, yay, you know, more power to you. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like shit on that, you know, but, but don't like push it on me and, and tell me that in, in a time of crisis, like that's going to comfort me in any way. Cause it won't. You know, I mean, well, definitely not with something like this. I mean, if it's something like, you know, I, I me getting hit by a car for being a dumbass and running across the street when I wasn't supposed to, then that is one of those things where everything happens for a reason. Because it's like, well, that was a life threatening situation that I that needed to happen for to get through my thick skull that I shouldn't jaywalk anymore. <laughs> well, again, you know, you learned a lesson from that. You yeah. know, it, it it happened randomly, but you learned a lesson from it. Um, yeah. And that's that's like me with a bunch of things. You know, um, uh, I got when I got into my car wreck, um, mm-hmm. I I was I didn't do anything wrong. I I was I was turning into my parents' neighborhood or whatever, 
and uh, I guess I was taking too long to turn or something because this lady went to pass me as I was turning and knocked my ass into a telephone pole. There was no reason why that happened. That lady was being a dumb bitch who was just being a dumb bitch. I mean, really, that's all she was doing. Um, but I guess the lesson I learned in that was, um, you know, I just need to be more cautious on the road at any time, even when you think you're safe, even when you think, oh, I'm home, yeah. you know, I'm about to turn to my parents' neighborhood, I'm home free now. You know, I wasn't. I got into a horrible car wreck that could have killed me if I wasn't wearing my seatbelt because um, I, the, the telephone pole was what stopped me from spinning. So had I not had my seatbelt on, well, yeah. my, my head could have hit the telephone pole through the window or whatever, and uh, I would have had brain damage or died or whatever. So, well, yeah. the same thing with me. I mean, I, I, apparently threw, I apparently was thrown and then flew 15 feet in the air that's, and that's then nuts. landed face first on the asphalt. And I was extremely blessed and lucky to just get like a concussion. I didn't even get a concussion. I had no concussion. Uh, all I did was bust some teeth and broke my nose and, you know, it was bruised and scraped up. Could have easily broke something else. I could have cracked my skull, could have shattered, you know, some orbital, orbital bone in my eye socket. Could have, a lot more damage could have been done. And, you know, I'm very lucky that that's not what happened. And, and there isn't a day that goes by since that that I don't, you know, look at everything that I have and everything that's going on. And, and I, I look at, you know, my life and, you know, I, I just appreciate it so much more because it just could have just been gone. Yeah. In that instance. Oh, it'll just do that. The moment when I saw the sky fall, I will never forget that. That is such a surreal image that I honestly don't want anyone to experience, to be honest. <laughs> When you saw the sky, I didn't want. I didn't want. I yeah, because that's what happens. Because I get when I flipped, it looked like the sky fell. Oh wow! <laughs> because, boom, <laughs> it's just. That's how I I describe it. Because that's what it looked like to me. You know, another thing that makes you appreciate life is um, when you spend some time in jail. <laughs> that's something <laughs> that you might not might not know about, but I do. Um, did you talk about this already? Yeah, when I got my DUI or whatever, I spent like yeah. 10 or 12 hours in jail. And man, being in a room... Like I don't want to be back in there. Yeah, being in a room where you can't leave even if you want to. Most people have never been in a situation like that where they literally... You, you can't leave. Uh, even in school, you can leave. It's not a timeout. Yeah, it's in school, you can, you can... They can tell you, if you leave, you're going to get demerits or you're going to get written up, fine. You know, I'm, but I'm out of here. In jail, it doesn't matter what you say, what you do. You can kick the door. In fact, there were people doing that. They were kicking the door. They were screaming. It doesn't matter. You're staying in there. You have to, you have to make peace with that. You know, you have to come to peace with the fact that this is happening and you just have to accept it. But man, as soon as you get out of there, like that feeling of just freedom, even though I was only in there for like 10 or 12 hours, like that feeling of freedom is just uh, awesome. Yeah. It's something that you don't you you don't truly appreciate and you take for granted every day uh, until it's taken away. And then yeah. when you get it back, I can't even speaking, imagine people who spend like years yeah. in there. Speaking of jail, this case actually has an update. Um, because uh, originally the cops were thinking, well, might not be able to solve this because apparently these road rage crimes are particularly difficult to solve because so many people are moving during the time that the crime is taking place 
and most people do not realize that the crime is happening. However, in Robert's case, a witness was able to give police a description of the Camaro and its driver. Uh, the case is actually solved. Based on the description of the Camaro's driver, some detective work, and an anonymous tip, authorities identified Robert's killer as Alvy Williams of Vesperia, California. Authorities eventually located the driver and the other passenger of the Camaro, and they agreed to testify against Williams in exchange for immunity. In 2003, Williams was convicted of murder and is now serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. That's great news. However, though, his, in 2005, his conviction was overturned. What the f- Due to prosecutorial misconduct, and in 2007, he was given a second trial. However, the results have yet to be unrevealed. In 07, and they're yet to be revealed? Maybe we should do some research on that one. (laughs) I mean, it's been a decade. How much more time do you need to reveal some details here, people? Jesus. I hate I hate when I hear like basically due to a technicality someone skates you know by without yeah, having a so, I hate that shit you know that is just really really shitty dude total but, bullshit he was convicted but that's the law yeah he was convicted but due to one of the attorneys forgetting his briefcase at the house the case was thrown out due to uh, a technicality you know like it's it's crazy like. I mean, obviously, I'm oversimplifying it, but that, I mean, it, it kind of feels like that sometimes. Like, what does that even mean? You know, like it, it, it could mean anything. It could mean something as small as like, um, uh, like during the the evidence being entered in, um, they didn't mention that it was a red car. They just said it was a car. Just little things like yeah. that could be uh, a mistrial. Like, leaving out little details, it's like, oh, well, that could have made all the difference in the world, you know? Like, if, if they have a good enough attorney, they could have, you know, yeah. m- made the point that, well, you didn't say it was a red car, you just said it was a car. If they knew it was red, you know, just shit like that. So, that that's that kind of stuff can happen. But, obviously, this wasn't very uh, clear on what exactly the case was. Okay, we gotta get to this last case here. I'm c- kind of running low on time. I gotta have a Skype meeting with this bride and groom whose wedding I'm doing in March. Well, that's... That sounds like fun. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, I, I actually <laughs> am appreciative of this, though, because if it wasn't a Skype meeting, then it would have meant them having to drive an hour and a half here to uh-huh. meet with me. So I'm glad we were just able to do it over Skype instead of me having to actually, or them having to drive all the way here, because, I mean, that's that's shitty for them. Have you seen some of the type of you know TV shows and stuff that have these wedding planners and all that stuff? Like, you're not doing that aspect you're a dj so it's dude not really- honestly sometimes a dj is the wedding planner as well and what i mean by that <laughs> what i mean by that is if they don't have a wedding planner and they don't really know how weddings work you're the guy i mean you're kind of wow. telling them okay this this is how we're gonna do the night you know dinner's gonna be here then we're gonna do toast and we're gonna do cake cutting then we're gonna do father daughter mo- or mother son dances and that you know you kind of have to be that that guide for them um if they don't have the uh do you get la- paid extra for that nope <laughs> you don't um not not at this point at least hopefully i will down the road but um it's it's kind of it, it's it's something i guess i don't mind doing um but yeah it tends to be for the lower budget weddings where they don't have that um 
And I, I feel at that point, I'm just kind of helping them out and doing them a solid. Uh, the last wedding I did last Sunday was like that. They had no wedding planner, no nothing. So I literally like told them, okay, the, this is going to be the, ser- the series of events. This is the itinerary. This is how it's going to work out. I've done enough weddings now to know kind of the best uh, yeah. way that the event should be scheduled or whatever. And, you know, we ended up doing it that way and it was fine. So, um, yeah, wedding planners can be helpful. Sometimes they can be a nuisance. Sometimes they can be helpful. That's all I'll say about it. Uh, sometimes they can take so, a, something that's completely organic and it's flowing really well and they can turn it upside down on its head and rearrange everything just so they can put their stamp on the wedding. Yeah, because they want it to be the way, way that they want it. Exactly. They want the wedding to be like the wedding that they want. They want to put the their that... their stamp on there and go, hey, I'm the wedding planner, look at me, I actually did something. And then other times they can totally like be awesome and be helpful and like, okay, Josh, in five minutes we're going to be doing this. Okay, when we're going to be doing And it's like, oh, okay. Well, this saves me the trouble of having to go and ask the bride and groom this stuff or go talk to the caterer. And, you know, so it, it just all, it really all depends. And, and like most yeah. things in life, you get what you pay for with, uh, with uh, wedding planners and DJs. Yep. So the next... Uh Thing we're going to discuss is uh, another case, but this time it's not from Unsolved Mysteries. This is what could be called what should have been and probably what would have been on Unsolved Mysteries if Unsolved Mysteries was still around in the modern day. And of course, I'm referring to Malaysia Airlines Flight 370. Now, this is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Um, I remember um, in 2014 when this first happened, this was instantly something that grabbed my attention because you know, here you have an airplane and it goes missing and it's just like and it's not a small aircraft either, folks. It no, was, it's a Boeing 777. Yeah. Um huge. Very big. Gigantic aircraft. The word ginormous would almost come to mind. <laughs> Can you imagine Robert Stack saying that? <laughs> ginormous. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, it went missing and uh, kind of to this day, there's theories, but there's no definitive evidence of exactly what happened to it. So this uh, Malaysian airline flight, it was, you know, super fascinating to me, uh, it went missing. Uh, I'll just go ahead and kind of give you a synopsis here of uh, what happened. I guess me and Mike will take a paragraph so you get uh, both of our voices in your ears uh, trade off here. Um, the Malaysian Airlines flight uh, 370... Uh, also known as MH370. It was a uh, scheduled international passenger flight that disappeared on the 8th of March 2014 while flying from Kuala Lumpur International Airport, uh, Malaysia, to Beijing Capital International Airport in China. Now, thank God this is not anything Russian whatsoever because I can kind of sort of pronounce these words, uh, unlike last week, if you want to go take a little listen to that. <laughs> Wow, that was some bad pronunciation. Uh, so the aircraft, a Boeing 777-200ER, emergency room? I don't know. Operated by Malaysia Airlines, um, last made voice contact with air traffic control at 119 on the 8th of March uh, when it was over the South China Sea, less than an hour after takeoff. The aircraft disappeared from air traffic controller's radar screens at 1.22, so three minutes later. Malaysian military radar continued to track the aircraft as it deviated westwards from its planned flight path and crossed the Malay Peninsula. 
It left the range of Malaysian military radar at 2.22 while over the Andaman Sea, 200 nautical miles northwest of Penang in northwestern Malaysia. The aircraft was carrying 12 Malaysian crew members and 227 passengers from 15 nations. The multinational search effort for the aircraft is the largest and most expensive in aviation history. The search began in the Gulf of Thailand and the South China Sea, where the aircraft's signal was last detected on secondary surveillance radar. It was soon extended to the Strait of Malacca and the Andaman Sea. Analysis of satellite communications between the aircraft and Emir Sarat's satellite communications network concluded that the flight continued until at least 819 and flew south into the southern Indian Ocean, although the precise location cannot be determined. Australia took charge of the search on March 17th when the search moved to the southern Indian Ocean. On March 24th, the Malaysian government noted that the final location determined by satellite communication is far from any possible landing sites and concluded that flight MH370 ended in the southern Indian Ocean. From October 2014 through January 2017, a comprehensive survey of 120,000 kilometers squared, 46,000 square miles of sea floor, and 1,100 miles southwest of Perth, Western Australia, yielded no evidence of the aircraft. Several pieces of marine debris found in the coast of Africa in the Indian Ocean Islands off the coast of Africa, the first discovered on july 29th of 2015 on reunion have been confirmed as pieces of flight 370 however the bulk of the aircraft has still not been located prompting many theories about its disappearance um so the malaysia established the joint investigation team the jit (laughs) that's funny if you know what a jit is um it's somebody who's freshly out of prison um To investigate the incident, working with foreign aviation authorities and experts, neither the crew nor the aircraft's communication systems relayed a distress signal, indications of bad weather, or technical problems before the aircraft vanished. Very conspicuous. Um, The two passengers traveling on stolen passports were investigated because that was a thing at the time. I do remember hearing about how there was two passengers who were traveling on stolen uh, passports, but they were eliminated as suspects. Uh, Malaysian police have identified the captain as a prime suspect if human intervention was the cause of disappearance, but we still don't know. After clearing all others on the flight of suspicious motives, power was lost to the aircraft's satellite data unit. At some point between 107 and 203, I guess p.m., a.m., who knows, uh, the uh, SDU, or the uh, satellite data unit, logged on to... In Marasat satellite communication network at 2:25, three minutes after the aircraft left the range of radar, based on analysis of the satellite communications, the aircraft turned south after passing north of Sumatra, and the flight continued for five hours with little deviation on its track, ending when its fuel was exhausted. With the presumed loss of all on board, Flight 370 is the second deadliest incident involving a Boeing 77 and the second deadliest incident in Malaysia Airlines history, behind Flight 17 in both categories. 
Malaysia Airlines was struggling financially, a problem that was exasperated by a decline in ticket sales after the disappearance of Flight 370 and the crash of Flight 17, and the airline was renationalized by the end of 2014. The Malaysian government received significant criticism, especially from China, for failing to disclose information promptly during the early weeks of the search. Flight 370's disappearance brought to public attention the limits of aircraft tracking and flight recorders, including several issues raised four years earlier, but never mandated, following the loss of the Air France Flight 447. In response to the Flight 370's disappearance, the International Civil Civil Aviation Organization, the ICAO, adopted new standards for aircraft position reporting over open ocean, extended recording time for cockpit voice recorders, and from 2020 will require new aircraft designs to have a means to recover the flight recorders or the information they contain before the recorders sink below water. So... Um, some fun facts here. Well, I shouldn't say fun. <laughs> these aren't, these aren't oh, fun these facts. Oh, some fun facts here. Oh, you ready for some fun facts, folks? Yeah. <laughs> Come to Uncle Crunchy's Fun Fact Basement. Um, that sounded weird in every way possible. Uh, Uncle Crunchy? You should have a sticky feeling right now. If that, if, if you were creeped out as much as you were supposed to be, you should have a sticky feeling all over your body. Anyway, um... So let's break down the people on board by nationality. We had three Americans. We had six Australians, or John F. Kennedy impersonator accents, if you will, because my Australian accent sounds similar to Jay. Anyway, uh, we had two Canadians. Thankfully, Morgan was not one of those two Canadians. I have this thing where I, 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 it's this like running theme where I seem to bring Morgan up in every single podcast, and not even on purpose. It just Canada comes up, and I think. You know, she's a listener of our podcast. Well, honestly, when I think of Canada now, I, I think of Morgan. And so I'm like, I, I wonder what she would think about this movie, Yoga Hosers. Oh, that movie looks so bad. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, let's not get into that. That's another story. Um, we had one Dutch, four French, five Indian, seven Indonesian. Can't I don't know what Indonesian people sound like. Two Iranian. 50 Malaysian, two New Zealanders, one Russian, one Taiwanese, two Ukrainians, and 153 Chinese. So no wonder the Chinese government is interested in what was going on here. Um, Now, of course, this is a very detailed and thick Wikipedia page. It's like a big sandwich, very juicy. Um... I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but um, there's a few possible things that kind of went on here, obviously. And we'll go through the theories. All right, so these are some of the theories of the, dis- of the, the disappearance of Flight 370. Um, so I guess we'll go into kind of some criticisms and responses here. Uh, Conspiracy-focused internet sites claim that the official statement that the plane crashed into the Indian Ocean makes no sense. They note that a Boeing 777 does not have the structural integrity to survive crashing into the ocean, and that it would be comparable to hitting a concrete wall at terminal velocity. 
If Flight 370 hit the ocean, they say, it would have been broken into tens of thousands of pieces, many of which float on water, such as the seat cushions, and would be seen washing up on regional shores or easily spotted by search teams. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about. It's like, how the hell is a plane this big, if it crashed, not being able to be found? How are people only finding like a few pieces of debris and not finding like a ton of it? Because with something that big, if it crashes, there's more than likely going to be a ton of debris. Right. So Harvard... we have this Harvard professor yeah. named Cass Sunstein who noted that the conflicting information initially released by the Malaysian government explains the interest in alternative theories. Sunstein, who was written on the topic, argued in an interview with the Wall Street Journal on March 20th in 2014 that conspiracy theories in general are often born out of horrific and disastrous situations because such events make people angry, fearful, and looking for a target. So David Susi, a former FAA inspector, has said that the theories that have been put forth in this matter are important when there is lack of knowledge, as the theories and notions help us con to consider various possibilities. He stated on CNN this quote, in an accident investigation, it's a critical part to come up with theories, especially right now when we don't have anything. We don't have anything tangible. We don't have something to say, hey, yes, because we don't know where the airplane is and we need to find out why. If you take one theory, the airplane would be where we're looking at now. If you take another theory where there was nefarious intent, they're trying to avoid radars. The airplane could be somewhere else. If you say it was whatever it is, you've got these theories and you weigh them against the facts so you know which one to go to. So let's look at some of these theories here. Okay, the first one we got hijacking, obviously. The possibility of a simple hijacking has been brought by various news outlets, including ABC News and the LA Times. Speculation has mounted about the possibility that hijackers took the plane to a remote island... Although no one group has stepped forward to confirm it was them. So it's kind of like Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Sound, sounds to me like the Manchurian candidate. They take him to the island and they program him. Well, I just remember in, uh, in Die Hard 2, the whole plot was that these group of, you know, jerk off people, you know, terrorists and, and uh, there was like this other guy who was kind of like Fidel Castro, but not mm. who wanted to fly off on a, on a, 747 or something and just fly off on some island with riches and just retire it's very lofty mike um however unofficial researchers have identified more than 600 possible runways at which the plane was capable of landing no confirmation has been received from malaysian officials the credibility of several hijacking theories have become further marginalized following the discovery of the first definitive fragments of the MH370 wreckage in July exactly. 2015. Now it's like, uh, I don't buy the hijacking thing. <laughs> we got pieces of the plane missing. So they're uh, saying some of the methods are electronic hijacking. Yeah. Um, so we have electronic hijacking, where electronic hijacking uses systems and programming already factory installed with the, within the B777 uh, flight management system. I might have put... One too many sevens there. No, that was this enough. is different from the hacking or cyber attack in that it requires access to the B-77 security system through access purposely programmed into the software. Notable proponent, proponents brr, of this theory 
include former Malaysian Prime Minister Matamir Mohamad. He said, clearly Boeing and certain agencies have the capacity to take over in uninterruptible control of commercial airliners, of which MH37B77 is one. In the statement, he was referring to offboard hijackers with access to MH370's flight management system via the 2003 patented uninterruptible autopilot. So another theory we have would be terrorist attack. Shortly after the aircraft disappeared, some news agencies reported that it may have been an act of terrorism, possibly by a jihad attack. Between nine, the 9th and the 14th of March 2014, media mogul Rupert Murdoch tweeted that Flight 370's disappearance, quote, confirms jihadists turning to make trouble for China, end, uh, end quote. He later suggested that the flight might have been hidden in northern Pakistan, quote, like bin Laden, end quote. These remarks have not been confirmed and were characterized as conspiracy theories by Shiv Malach in The Guardian. Thinking about pop star, never stop popping now with when bin Laden. Yeah, that was, uh, it's a film that uh, The Lonely Island did. You know, oh, they were okay. on SNL. Yeah, no idea. And so Andy Samberg did that and he had this parody song. It was, it was like, uh, it was called Bin Laden. And it was all like, it was about this woman who's like asking him to, you know, fuck her. And she's all like, I want you to fuck me like the U.S. military. Fuck Bin Laden. Fuck Bin Laden. Oh, wow. That's that's <laughs> really ironic because I saw I was on uh, I was on Tinder the other day and I saw that was on some girl's profile. Those same lyrics. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> now I get where that came from. Um. Okay, so that was one of the theories. And then you got North Korea, which was a story circulated on Reddit that MH370 had a sufficient fuel to be hijacked to North Korea, as was done in 1969 with Korean Airlines YS-11. Um, in late 2015, an article about the MH370 conspiracy theories uh, briefly mentioned that it had received an email claiming that the U.S. had authorized a plan to be shot down because it was allegedly carrying a nuclear warhead to North finished. Korea. Did you finish the Bin Laden part? You just went to North Korea? Oh, I thought I had finished it. <laughs> oh, um... Oh, yeah, I mean, it was just it's speculation. The The following month the Rush, about the terrorist oh, attack, the Russian newspaper, which I'm not even going to try to pronounce, endorsed a similar theory claiming that unknown terrorists had hijacked the plane, flown to Afghanistan, and then held the crew and passengers hostage. Um... And then, so then there's a North Korean theory that it was shot down because uh, it had a, a nuclear warhead, though the Independent immediately added the joke, or it could still be aliens. Don't joke <laughs> like that, the Independent, because that's what I think it was, okay? Um, then we have uh, the acquisition of Freescale staff, um, where apparently a variety of social media posts and email chain letters claiming that a patent number 8671381 eight, 8671381 8671381 eight, I got it got it I got your patent on my wall was approved days after the disappearance of the MH370 and the right to the patent was split five ways 20% to freescale semiconductor and 20% to each each to four employees all of whom were passengers on the plane. Okay, all right. The patent deals with fabrication of integrated circuits on semiconductor wafer. 
on a, on a semiconductor wafer. The Urban Myth website Snopes suggests that there's no evidence that the foreign vendors listed on the patent application were on the aircraft passenger list, nor that they were entitled to 20% share of the patent, and it says that it is unlikely that their share would revert to Freescale on their death, as presented in the email. Retired Delta Airlines captain Field McConnell claimed that the aircraft was seized to obtain stealth knowledge of classified patents from 22 Chinese employees of Austin-based Freescale. McConnell also claimed that the company has developed a classified technology that uses paint and electronics to enable traditional aircraft to be overhauled into stealthy jets. Another theory. Diego Garcia. Conspiracy theorists have suggested that the MH370 was either captured by the United States and then flown to the United States military base on the atoll of Diego Garcia in the BIOT or that the plane landed at the base directly. The latter theory was raised at a White House daily briefing on the 18th of March, whereupon Press Secretary Jay Carney responded, quote, I'll rule that one out, end quote. Underpinning the Diego Garcia theory, theory were several elements, one of which was the co-pilot's mobile phone contact in the plane's westward turn, both of which were consistent with the flight path toward the island. In that vein, it was reported by the Daily Mirror without giving a concrete source. The captain had trained in landing on an Indian Ocean island with a short runway using a flight simulator in his home computer. I actually do remember hearing about this back when this was going on. Several mass media uh, sources reported that the captain had trained using his Avia simulator to land on five runways in the Indian Ocean region, namely Diego Garcia and Mail International Airport. (laughs) Only for men, apparently. And (laughs) um, other airstrips in India and Sri Lanka. These allegations were disputed by the FBI, which reported that after analyzing the impounded flight simulator, it had found, quote, nothing suspicious whatsoever, end quote, and said that the Marira's report about the simulator's contents were unsubstantiated and unsourced. Giving a new twist to the MH370 missing story, a former French airline boss had claimed that the Malaysian air flight was shot down by the U.S. military near the base of Diego Garcia. In an article published on March 18th, 2014, journalist Farah Ahmad and Ahmad Naif of the Maldavian uh, newspaper Havuru wrote, Several residents of Kuda Haruvu told Havuru, <laughs> Beautiful. Havuru on Tuesday that they saw a low-flying jumbo jet at around 6.15 on March 8th. They said that it was a white aircraft with red stripes across it, which is what the Malaysia Airlines flights typically look like. Eyewitnesses from the Kuda Hudavu. That's so hu- beautiful, Mike. I love Huvadu, it. Huvadu, Kuda Huvadu, concurred that the jet was traveling north to southeast towards the southern tip of the Maldives. Adu. They noticed that the incredibly loud noise that the flight made when it flew over the island. I've never seen a jet flying so low over our island before. We've seen seaplanes, but I'm sure this was not one of those. I could even make out the doors on the plane clearly, said an eyewitness. It's not just me either. Several other residents have reported seeing the exact same thing. Some people got out of their houses to see what was causing the tremendous noise too. Mohammed Zahim, the island councillor of the Kuda Huvadu, <laughs> said that the residents of the island had spoken about the incident. Okay, so you got that one. Then you got the phantom cell phone hypothesis. Some have speculated that the passengers are still alive but cannot answer their cell phones, sometimes known as the phantom cell phone theory. This was based on early reports that family members of Flight 370 passengers heard ringing 
while calling the passengers' phones, though this was after the plane disappeared. This, however, has been challenged by Jeff Kagan, a wireless analyst, who in an email to NBC News explained that the network may still produce quote-unquote ringbacks as it searches for a connection, even if the cell phone has been destroyed. Then we have another theory of crew suicide and mixed in with hijacking. The cockpit had the mandated anti-hijacker fortified doors to prevent locked out crew crew or passengers from interfering with a suicide or hijacking into the southern ocean. This can be compared to the Silk Air Flight 185, a positive pilot suicide incident in 1997, and a bunch of other incidences and instances. Come on, Mike. Come on. Shortly after the Flight 370's disappearance, the media reports revealed that Captain Zahir Ahmad Saha's wife and three children moved out of his house the day before the disappearance. And a friend claimed that Captain Shaha was seen seeing another woman and Shah's relationship with her was also in trouble. Claims of domestic problems have been denied by the Shah's family and a fellow pilot and longtime associate of Shaha stated that the captain was terribly upset and that his marriage was falling apart. Police were also investigating reports that Shaha received two minute, a two-minute phone call prior to the flight's departure from an unidentified woman using a mobile phone number obtained with a false identity. Furthermore, Captain Shaha was also a supporter of the Malaysian opposition politician Anwar Ibrahim, who was sentenced to jail on March 7th after an earlier acquittal of, on sodomy charges was Sexy. overturned in a move viewed as politically motivated. Now, this this is, is another thing I do remember, that the, pi- the uh, pilot was upset and it had something to do with uh, his wife or something like that. Um, I, I remember that theory. So so that's kind of, well, that's one of the theories. Well, um, also, they say the investigators noted strange behavior by Shaha from conducting 170 interviews, namely that the captain had made no social professional plans for after March 8th when Flight 370 disappeared. News reports about the captain's lack of social plans and flight simulator exercises cite results of police inquiry into the pilots, which have been shared with some of the investigation team, but have not been released publicly. However, news reports on July 23rd of 2014 noticed that the police considered the possible culp- culpability of all those on board the plane and identified the captain as the prime suspect. If it is proven, human intervention was involved. United States Federal Bureau of Investigation reconstructed the deleted data from Captain Shaw's home flight simulator. A Malaysian government spokesperson or spokesman noticed that nothing sinister had been found on it. Uh, However, the Sunday Times later reported that among deleted flight paths reported on the flight simulator, investigators found a flight path, plaf, flight flight path (laughs) into the Southern Ocean. There's just so many words, folks. So many words. There's a lot of words. Where a simulated landing was made in an island with a small runway. Okay, so we can skip the rest of that. That's one of the theories. Um, well, I'm going to skip some of these theories here and go to some uh, more juicier ones. Um, uh, let's see here. Let's do the uh, shoot-down theory. Political commentator Rush Rush Limbaugh, according to CNN, <laughs> speculated that the aircraft may have been shot down. Supporters of this theory have noted that civilian aircraft have been shot down by military forces in the past, with Iran Air Flight 655 by the United States in 1988 and 
Cal 007 by the Soviet Union in 1983. I believe that was a movie. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 007 thing, anyway. But being two frequently cited examples. On March 19, 2014, news agency reporter Scott, whatever the fuck, of Associated Press described, quote-unquote, accidental shootdown as one of seven leading plausible theories, but added that there was no evidence that the Flight 370 was brought down by a government entity. Uh, government entity. My voice just went British just then. Reading a lot <laughs> does very strange things to you, folks. A Malaysian defense official um, said that it was, it was highly not possible that his country's air force had shot down the plane. According- it sounded like uh, it was like when uh, uh, in, in uh, Bruce Almighty when um, the newscaster guy he gets uh, controlled by uh, Jim Carrey, and he just starts saying random gibberish. Yeah. Um, in May 2014, author uh, Nigel Cawthorn's book, Flight MH370, The Mystery, was published. Cawthorn alleged that after the jet was shot down during a U.S.-Thai joint strike fighter jet training exercise, searchers intentionally were sent astray as part of a sophisticated cover-up. The book received considerable criticism, especially from the Australian, where it was criticized, thus, quote, Cawthorn undoes everybody's good work by retrieving every obsolete and discredited non-fact from the trash, slapping a whole lot between covers, end quote. Relatives of those aboard Flight 370 criticized the book as premature and insensitive. So the shoot-down theory is not a uh, big fan. Uh, people are not a big fan of that. Um, nope. Mike, why don't you do the physically improbable theories? Oh, okay. We're gonna skip the cyber ta- cyber attack. Yeah, I feel like we already kind of did that. Yeah, with the it's kind of similar. Redundant. Yeah. The theory that the MH370 may have been consumed by a black hole received considerable attention when Don Lemon asked on CNN, "Oh, that guy, uh, whether it was preposterous that it could have happened." Lemon was criticized for this by Jon Stewart on The Daily Show and by former U.S. Department of Transportation Inspector General May Chavio, uh, Chavo. Mary Chavo, while appearing on CNN, said that a small black hole would suck in our entire universe, so we know it's not that. <laughs> That's so ridiculous, a black hole. Sounds like some sci-fi channel original movie. Uh, the Wire.com, which wasn't satisfied with Shivo's answer, obtained detailed reasons why a black hole couldn't swallow a plane from Columbia University. Astronomy professor David J. Helfland and Peter Milkison, a professor of physics at Stanford University, reasons which did not involve any suggestion that a small black hole could suck in the entire universe. Another their hypothesis is that a meteorite might have struck the plane. However, the statistical probability for this is extremely low. And I, I don't know if people like realize this. A black hole is not an actual hole. No. It's a dense, dense, dense piece of mass with a very, very freakishly strong gravitational pull that like just grabs everything around it and just crushes it basically onto this black piece of uh, mass. It's not an actual hole. Paranormal. Going into the theories here that I'm interested in. Uh, A poll posted on CNN's website reported that 9% of respondents thought that it was either very or somewhat likely that the plane was abducted by aliens. (laughs) Like the whole plane itself? Yeah. 
quote, time travelers are beings from another dimension, end quote. The poll, which has since been removed from the website, led to CNN being criticized by Perez Hilton for, quote, indulging any wackadoo theory that might be good for TV ratings or internet clicks, end quote. Oh, yeah, Perez Hilton, the uh, totally someone who doesn't engage in uh, clickbaiting or anything like that. Exactly. Uh, you know, yeah. he, he's, you of know. all people, yeah, he's the one that should be... Uh, you know, crying foul. Yeah, uh, Perez Hilton, someone who bait. whose moniker is in and of itself a fucking clickbait thing to begin with, because it's just a playoff. Paris Hilton, who in yeah. the early two thousands was for some reason talked about, and thank God she's not anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought that was funny. I I gotta read this one just because. So, well, Pitbull and Shakira, yeah. So under the theories. I haven't read this yet, and I'm really excited to see what it says. Under the theories, it says Pitbull and Shakira, the recording artists. <laughs> As an example of an internet theory, which they imply their readers should not take seriously, the Independent and Huffington Post have reported the suggestion that Pitbull and Shakira's song released in 2012... 2012? <laughs> <laughs> You're literally hearing us losing our fucking minds now trying to read through this shit. Their Pitbull and Shakira song released in 2012 called Get It Started displays prior knowledge of Flight 370's disappearance. That's what happens when you read all these, you know, theories. Yeah, what happened. turns your brain to mush. The lines cited most often by advocates of this conspiracy theory are, quote, now it's off to Malaysia and, quote, two passports, three cities, two countries, one day. The lyrics... No Ali, no Frazier, but for now off to Malaysia, were linked to Mr. Ali, who was referred to by the press as one of the Iranian passengers. Even though Malaysian authorities have confirmed that the 19-year-old passenger is actually called whatever the fuck um, that's not Ali. Poria, Poria Nor, Nor Mohammadi. In parentheses, in the song, Ali actually refers to boxing legend Muhammad Ali, who beat another boxing legend, Joe Frazier, of course. Of course, Joe Frazier. In the thriller yeah. in Manila. Um, proponent, proponents of this theory have linked the two passports to the stolen, you know, the two it's passports. Say, it's not a theory. It's just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> to the stolen Australian and, and Italian passports used by the two passengers to board the plane. The reliable sources for this story dismiss the lyrics as mere coincidence and indicate that to take it seriously would be a terrible idea, with supporters of the theory being described as conspiracy theorists and YouTube Illuminati. There's such a thing as a YouTube Illuminati? Yeah, I'm kind of... The more you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> um... <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, claims of responsibility. There's no way that Pitbull and Shakira, of all people, would be smart enough. No, yeah, Pitbull one, did, being one yeah. of the dumbest people in music. Um, well, maybe he's psychic. I don't know. I highly doubt it. Mr. Worldwide, gotta hate Ugh. Dolly. <laughs> uh, anyway, so claims. Are, this is the last thing we'll read to you. Then we'll be done with this. Um, <laughs> On March 9th, 2014, members of the Chinese news media received an open letter that claimed to be from the leader of the Chinese Martyrs Brigade, a previously unknown group. The letter claimed that the loss of Flight 370 was in retaliation for the Chinese government's response to the knife attacks at the Kunming Railway Station on March 1st, 2014, and part of the wider separatist campaign against Chinese control over the Xinjiang province. The letter also listed unspecified grievances against the Malaysian government. 
Letter's claim was dismissed as fraudulent based on its lack of detail regarding the fate of Flight 370 and the fact that the name of the, quote, Chinese Mars Brigade appeared inconsistent with the Uyghur separatist groups, which described themselves as East Turkestan and Islamic rather than Chinese. Whoo! All right. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's why this case was interesting to me, because, I mean... Well, there's all these different theories. Also, it's interesting to me too because it just it just disappeared. Yeah, they still haven't found it. The plane's fucking gone. You know, hundreds of people missing, no bodies, no nothing. It's just gone. I almost feel like this would be like in a movie or something uh, about like people or or I feel like so it would be like the Langoliers. Mike, you got to realize I've seen like 10 movies in my entire life. You can't keep dropping these movie references on me. Um, well, it's based on a book by Stephen King, I think. Again, I've seen story. I've seen 10 movies in my entire life. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think I could see like being like, say you get sucked into some organization or something like the Illuminati or something like that. Or you, you like the stonemasons or something. And they like take you into this secret room and they're like, you want to go against us? What do you think happened to that flight a few years ago that nobody talks about anymore? You know, the one where they never found anybody and, you know, they stopped searching for it and it conveniently got swept under the rug. And then before you know it, people are worried about Ebola and any other distraction that the news threw out. We were the cause of that. So if you cross us, the same fate can happen to you. I don't know. I could so see that being as part That's what happens when you cross the YouTube Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, man. If you cross PewDiePie and his gang... That could happen. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, you see all these different theories, you know, I, I think this would have been right for an Unsolved Mysteries case, and they would have done, like, really yeah. good research, because they always... Well, similar to the other, the there was another case, but it was actually, you know, they were the, what is it, like, some soldiers or something? Like, it was a whole plane flight that had also crashed, and there were these uh, military people that were on there, and there was rumors that, oh, it could have been, like, there could have been weapons on the plane, this other stuff that was going on. That's an interesting one, too. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They uh, It happened over Canada. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I know which one you're talking The um, Gander Mountain um, mm -hmm. thing, incident. Yeah, we should cover that one at some point. But, yeah, that's that's the Malaysian Flight uh, 370 for you. Uh, what ended up happening? Uh, who knows? It's unsolved. It's an unsolved mystery. Um, that was not an unsolved mysteries. So anyway, um, that is all. We're kind of clocking in a little bit, uh, a little bit extra for you to, uh, this time around. Um, as for me and Mike, we bid you adieu. See ya. Many people think Josh and Mike are perfect, huh, huh, that was a joke, because nobody thinks that anyways, here are some junk that was edited out, feel free to stop the episode right now, and do something productive like read a book or join a roasting class. Yes. David Susie, <laughs> Shit. a former FAA inspector. I am so not on the ball right now, sorry. Do you want to... Uh, yeah, it's going to be another yeah, edit. God. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the final not uh the final segment which is also a another um un Wait, I already did all that shit. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. <laughs>
Okay, I gotta get through this shit. Okay. So um, the Alright, and now we're back to this. That'll be a cut right there. Because <laughs> uh, you're gonna put that in the front, right? Yeah, I'll put that in the front. Um Actually, another fucking edit. Because <laughs> I gotta send you the Wikipedia page that's got. The I have. Theories. I have the. I, oh, it's a different wiki. Yeah. Wikia? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I just sent it to you. Oh, one thirty-one. Oh, by the way, um, the guy's gonna be an hour late for the interv the Skype thing, so I, I can take more of my hey, time. Hey, it works out. Yeah, and it'll also give me time to take a shower too before my. We game. have a little bit of a longer episode, I think, today. We're at 131 right now. It's coming in about average after the edits. It might be, and depending on how long we take on this. All right. Maybe we'll have time to do a, some kind of a bonus thing. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> Maybe you have to do that solo. I did it solo last time. Um. Okay, so yeah, that's the theories here. So I guess we can just kind of... Let me see... So you got what hijacking? So we can do one of those each. Um, okay. Shit, these are so long. Well, some of them are shorter. Ooh, Maybe. I like. They got a paranormal one. Pitbull and Shakira. Oh yeah, we gotta get into some of these. <laughs> we'll just we'll just freestyle it. Okay, we're back now. Um. Hold on. Yep. Okay, well, gotta edit it. 36. Almost had a no edit one. Hey, it's the first one you had to edit in a while. Yeah. It's true. Thirty-six, fifty-six. Well, while you're editing, I'm, I'm gonna get a drink real quick. Okay. I mean, setting down a mark for edit. All right, I'm black. I mean back. And Mike is not. Hey, Mike. Yeah? Hey. What? Hey there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just like being weird. Don't you understand that by now? Yeah, but that was a bit too weird. That was giving me flashbacks to that Alan Mann segment. Oh, God. <laughs> Actually, that's the tip of the iceberg of the weirdness that uh, I'm I, able I to... Can, I... Hey, I can get pretty weird, too. That, that wasn't weird. You You just literally copied the same thing I did. Oh, I know. You have to do a different weird thing. You'll think of something. Uh, yeah, whenever you're ready, uh, we can... Well, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Um, that reminds me, probably should have plugged all this up front. Uh, probably still could if I edited it together that way, but... Um, probably can. Probably should. Hold on. <laughs> Hour 19. <laughs> God damn it, I didn't want to edit anything. <laughs> 
So what are you going off your own sort of crib notes? You. Oh, I got the Wikipedia page. About. I got the Wikipedia. Really big page. I know. I read through it already, and I know the stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I'm gonna skip okay. a lot of the stuff. I'm, gonna, I'm only gonna hit hit on certain things. Um, I'll say like the the head of the thing. Like I'll say like passengers or radar or something. The bold like you know title or whatever, and then like. If I read one previously, then you can read it or something like that. Okay, all right. You'll get what I'm doing when I go into it. All right, because I looked through this page earlier today. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah, no, there's a lot of shit on there that's just boring technical garbage that I really don't care about. All right. Um, Okay, so I'm going to come in with the uh, plugging of the page and all. Um, 